ओम ज्ञान चिमिरंधस्यज्ञानंजनशलाकाया चक्षुरनीलितम येना तस्मै श्री गुरवे नमः yeah the first thing to say in this class is as shatrugna prabhu has indicated turn your cell phone off kindly uh this morning i'm going to speak again on in reply to an email which i've received which it makes it easier it's a bit unconventional it's supposed to have a shrimad bhagavatam class but um one thing is it helps me to clear off my email backlog um especially when i have long letters with many questions but it is also uh it's like applied shrimad bhagavatam abhideya means the process of devotional service so that basically means how to practice devotional service so that one can come to the stage of perfection the general principles are given in shastra how to apply them in practical life well that we may require some guidance and that's one reason why we should uh, have gurus to to guide us to uh, how to actually live in krishna consciousness and that is one of the uh, many features by which we understand shrila prabhupada to be a uh, highly empowered representative of krishna because any representative of krishna is empowered as even any non representative whatever power anyone has comes from krishna um uh, but to establish krishna consciousness in the west we it may be that we almost take it for granted now that krishna consciousness is in the west because it's been there for more than a generation but the to make such a cultural transplant i mean even even apart from the the, the pure spiritual aspect to engage people with from a completely different cultural background and understanding in krishna consciousness is not the work of a merely what a uh bhaktisiddhanta sarasvataka called a platform speaker i mean someone who just gives lectures but he doesn't like interact with people or ju- just like a theoretical speaker so uh that same challenge much of that challenge i i see in this letter which is from a young lady in america who's a devotee of krishna new to krishna consciousness in this lifetime and uh is aspiring to be my disciple and is asking for some advice so i read the letter uh dear bhakti vikas swami maharaj please send my humble obeisances all glories to shri prabhupad i am humbly grateful for your timely response to my first inquiry i am very enlivened by your encouragement i do not know i do i know i do not deserve to receive the mercy of being a disciple of your holiness but i pray that i am able to chant sincerely and carry out my services in krishna consciousness so that i may become purified to be qualified if krishna desires i apologize for the and skipping over 
I apologize for the lengthiness of this mail. I only thought that it would be appropriate to keep your holiness updated with my circumstances. Please forgive my offensive nature. I do present some questions, but I know that I am not worthy of your correspondence. By the mercy of the devotees, I am fully engaged at the Krishna Center in such and such a city in America. I have been rising every morning by 3.30 and completing my rounds, reading the Bhagavad Gita and attending the full morning program and Srimad Bhagavatam class daily. I have also been attending the evening Arati in class, Harinam twice a week, that means going out in public and chanting the holy names, uh, preaching programs twice a week, as well as other services like cooking and cleaning. I am very grateful to have the service of daily prasadam and book distribution. It's a center where they have daily prasadam distribution. One struggle I face in spiritual life is association. I am very grateful to have the shelter of one Prabhu and mother, his wife, the Prabhupada disciples. But seeing devotees deviate from Srila Prabhupada's program and being around men and women who associate loosely breeds some difficulty. At such and such a temple, lower standards such as chanting only eight rounds as well as endeavors such as the temple president using temple Lakshmi to start a business are a few of the things that have disturbed my mind in the past. I wish to be humble and I do not want to make offenses, but I cannot help but notice that preaching efforts, Harinam and book distribution are being put on the back burner while going to school and business endeavors is prioritized. Also, when there is something stated in class that contradicts Srila Prabhupada's words, I seem to always want to respond, but I do not know if this is inappropriate because I am a woman. Another struggle I have is attentive chanting. My mind constantly wanders and I have difficulty focusing on the holy name alone. The Lord has reciprocated with my desire to see people become devotees by sending a university to the student university student to the university lunch program who became very attached to my association. Her sincerity and Srila Prabhupada's mercy have enabled me to preach to her daily and she is extraordinarily grateful. Thus, I always have to remind myself that I am not the doer and that this is, this is only Krishna and Srila Prabhupada's mercy that she has taken to Krishna consciousness. She has taken up the four regulated principles and is rising da- daily now by 4 a.m. chanting and reading the Bhagavad Gita for the past two months. She is moving into the women's ashram at the end of this month. Although I am content staying in the temple, the service I have always aspired for is to be part of a traveling Sankitan party. I hope to go with three other Matijis this summer, but slowly each one changed her plan so the party fell apart. Thus I inquired to going to... Uh, I can mention this, Berkeley Temple to help His Grace Sunanda Prabhu but I still held this desire for traveling Sankirtan in my heart. Now Krishna has provided facility for me to serve Srila Prabhupada in this way. A Grihasta couple, uh, so-and-so Prabhu and so-and-so Mataji have invited me to come with me on their RV. RV, I believe, means residential vehicle. In British English, it's called a mobile home. It's, it's a, a vehicle, which is a home. You, it's uh, there's it's like a truck without the back. There's a living space, kitchenette, shower. And you can store things and sleep there. So people, you live in your vehicle. 
We are hoping that another Mataji will join us. Uh, His Grace Sunanda Prabhu, previously mentioned in the Temple President at the center where she's at, have given, me, have given me blessings to take this service. I was not sure if having a Prabhu on the party was inappropriate. Without one, I think I would feel unprotected. I also worry about the sadhana standards of the devotees. I was hoping to have Your Holiness's guidance on this matter. We would be traveling under the RVC and guidance of His Grace. Parameshwar Prabhu, please forgive the offenses I have made to you. All glories to Srila Prabhupada, your inspiring servant, Bhaktin, unnamed here. You get this silk chadha, the puggery. So, uh, many issues raised here. First one uh, I want to speak about is that uh, this Mataji young lady devotee who uh, I don't really know in the sense that you know, if I saw her I wouldn't know who she is but she's heard my lectures and uh, she wants to be my disciple um, but she's very humble which is a first qualification for a Vaishnava uh, it's quite well, it shows that Krishna consciousness is coming through because Americans in general are not famous for being humble. I mean, no one in the material world is. Don't want to go on an America bashing trip here. Uh, but humility is, uh, it's not a quality that's generally inculcated in the Western world in particular. It's not considered a a good quality. It's equated with a weakness, which it often can be, actually. I mean, often we see people who appear to be humble, but they're just... It's just a ploy. There's not real humility. It's just that uh, they're weak and they'd like to exploit others and bash people, kick people in the head, but seeing their incapacity to do so... They uh, they play very humble. They find it's the best way to survive. So that's not real humility. But uh, in America, in particular, the the rugged individual and yeah, I did it my way. That's being promoted, and here in India now, especially, and especially among uh, women, it's being promoted because according to uh, feminist ideology, which is now accepted as the truth in the modern academia. Uh, women have been exploited since time immemorial. It's time for them to stand up and kick them males in the head, if they're kind. They could kick them in a more painful place even. Uh, so, uh, so that means that to imbibe this quality of humility means she's entered Krishna consciousness. That is the symptom of a devotee. Um, she writes, I, do, I know I do not deserve to receive the mercy of being a disciple of your holiness. So that's a very nice sentiment. But if 
that may be almost expected of a of a newcomer to Krishna consciousness. But the, I would say my service in Prabhupada's service of being a guru would be better expressed if someone after 10 years or 15 years says the same thing. <laughs> Newcomers, naturally, they're very humble and they see devotees, a very senior devotee, and to them, he knows so much and all this. But later on, the difference may become less as the the young devotee also studies Shastra and follows the same program that the guru or the senior devotee does. And the junior devotee, who is the disciple, they may become as knowledgeable or more knowledgeable, more austere, maybe more serious about Krishna consciousness. They may become, they may in, in some ways surpass the guru. And it, it may be that it's relatively easy to guide new people because they don't know anything. But to, the, the, one of the great challenges is to cha- is to guide the older devotees. And <clears throat> now, again, in India, because the cultural uh, ethos is so much more suited for Krishna consciousness and in the West. Uh, people still have some idea, even though it's been so much contaminated by Mayavadis and others, what gurus are and what disciples are. And so that kind of difficulty might not arise so much. That the guru is always to be respected. We see even now in India that old people are respected. In the West, even to some extent, people will you know, give them a seat in the bus or something like that. But, but there's, uh, well, there's a lot more respect in general for, for uh, seniors. But uh, it, it becomes more difficult to guide all the, especially in the West. Because in India, that if, if all the devotees, they, well, there's a lot of association of other devotees. There are opportunities for preaching. Lots of the movements moving here, whereas in the West, to to, to a large extent, it's uh, somewhat stagnant. Not in Slovenia. So there's a, in Slovenia actually it's not so much a problem there because there are. Festivals. There is the Padiatra each year. There's something for the senior devotees to to plug into regularly. <clears throat> they go to the temple and they they have they can have a quality experience. So that that center there in Slovenia is well. That sets an example of how the uh, older devotees can be maintained in Krishna consciousness. If if this, the center is alive and the whole country is so small, you could, you know, if you're in the passenger seat and you fall asleep, you could drive through it and not even know you've been in Slovenia. Well, if you go from north to south, especially. So, uh, <clears throat> it's not like you have so many devotees who are scattered far away from any uh, lively... They can get association. Whereas in other countries... 
there may be a problem. You, or in other places, you go to the temple and you don't get the spiritual nourishment that you hope for. So that, that is a, a problem. So to keep all the devotees in life. But apart from that, uh, to guide all the devotees, how just, uh, how to engage people who, uh, all the devotees, who already they know the basics, how to keep them engaged in a meaningful way throughout their lives in Krishna consciousness. Uh, Srila Prabhupada, of course, wanted Varnashram and farms. Uh, we haven't established that to a large extent and that again may cause many problems. So, um, the humility is appreciated, is quite appropriate. In one sense, in another sense, uh, well, who am I? <laughs> I'm not that... I, by default, I became a, a leader in our movement. But... Uh, You know, I, you know, I, I didn't drop out of a parachute from Vaikuntha. It's <laughs> just uh, Prabhupada's mercy. That's all. So, enter uh, the substance of the letter. So she's engaged, uh, but uh, she sees some difficulties deviating from Prabhupada's program being around men and women who associate loosely. She's joined a temple, but she herself can understand this is, some things are not up to the proper standard. Now, one important point here is that she's actually joined a temple in America. And I, there are very few temples in, in, in America where women can join. Now we see what we're seeing here is someone who they've become inspired. A young woman who's a university student was, I believe, she's given up her studies to join full time. Uh, I'm not sure she's given up. Her, it seems by the what she's written here, she's given up her studies. So I mean, that's very uh, enlivening. That that despite the uh, the decrease in preaching spirit over many years that people, they read Prabhupada's books and they want to be part of it. They feel inspired. So that, I mean, even for, what to speak of women in, in many places in the West and in some places in India also, they don't even want people to join at all because it's easier to run on the... T if you have pe new people, then you have to take the trouble of training them and... Uh, there may be no one living in the temple to train them. Or it's, it's troublesome. And then another thing is, if you can get the pujari work and all the services done by paid staff, you, you pay some devotees to do it, and then you just run on the temple. And it's easy to run. Of course, no one gets the idea of selfless service to Krishna, which is the whole point of having a temple. But the temple runs on. And so they don't want new people to join. Uh, another thing is you have to set a, you have to set it because they they have a they've come with an ideal and they want to they want to become advanced in Krishna consciousness so you have to set a good example for them which is also troublesome because you know, like I said if you can run on the temple without 
having any proper standards, then why bother having proper standards? Because as long as the show goes on, uh, who cares? Sorry for the sarcasm. So, uh, we have a phenomenon here of people reading Prabhupada's books and coming to the temple and saying, hey, I want to be part of this. And they actually join it and they find that there's a dichotomy between what's in the books and what's what the devotees are doing. So, well, it's also due, I can understand, to association with the, some of the devotees. She's under the guidance of another devotee who's there, who I also, who I also know, who's, you know, he's like me. He never grew up. He's, he joined the movement, and whatever they taught him, he believed it, and he never stopped believing it. And, you know, I never became mature. I never adapted to all the changes in ISKCON. I just believed in Prabhupada and followed that. And, you know, it creates problems in the modern ISKCON because, you know, if you don't believe in psychology and compromise and all these kind of things, and you just want to follow what's in Prabhupada's books, then it, it can be difficult to fit in. So this devotee who she's associating with He's like me. He never grew up. I mean, physically, he's, you know, closer to the uh, Dehanta Aprapti than the uh, than the than birth. But uh, he's an old-time Prabhupada man. They're troublesome people. You know, new people join and they spoil them by telling them things like, you know, you should rise early and chant 16 rounds and follow all the regulated principles and things like that. Um, and, yeah, and prioritizing preaching efforts, high now and book distribution while going to school, uh, over going to school and business endeavors. So she noticed that. And she, uh, and so she, anyway, she doesn't want to stay there, she wants to go somewhere else. And something said in class that contradicts Prabhupada's words, I don't know whether to say something. Well, you were just talking about that yesterday, that often people say things in class that contradicts Prabhupada's words, and you don't know whether to say something or not. But then no one says anything, and then saying anything becomes accepted. Just what Godbrother, just the other day at the Chennai temple opening, he he said he was living in L.A. for quite a few years. And the, the, in the morning class, for, he was living in L.A. for the last few years. Now he's back in India. So he said the morning class, the whole purpose was about Varnashram. And the sannyasi giving the class didn't speak anything about Varnashram, which is like a taboo, taboo subject. Nowadays, we're told that anyway, I won't get too much into bashing here, although I should, actually. But so he raised a question at the end about, well, you know, the whole purport's about Varnashram. What about the Varnashram mission that Srila Prabhupada wanted? And the sannyasi's reply, which he was not, which my godbrother was relating this to me, was not satisfied with, was, well, if everyone went to the farms, then who would preach in the cities? Which doesn't really address the issue at all. 
So the point is, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Let's we can raise points and bring it up. Bring it up. If someone says something. To, You can bring it up. You can do so politely. You may say that, well, you said this, but Srila Prabhupada said this. There appears to be a difference. Could you explain that? I did this some years ago with one of my godbrothers who made, was making statements about homosexuality. And I said, you, you said this? Prabhupada said this. To me, that seems to be a difference. Could you explain like that? And then he would say this and that, and I would just keep on the same point. And <laughs> there's no explanation. There is no explanation. <coughs> now, um, yeah, so that point, people wanted to join. Uh, it, it's enlivening that people are joining, or they want to join. Actually, in the, in the West, there's tremendous scope. America is tremendous scope for making young people or even older people like the hippies who've grown up and now they're old they're also fed up everyone's fed up except a few people even the rich people who are exploiting the whole system they're also fed up no one's happy so there's tremendous scope for for making devotees spreading Krishna consciousness ah so it is enlivening that some are coming, but making facility for them. There are just a few places, few temples in America that actually encourage people to join. Uh, for young women to join, it's become increasingly difficult. Prabhupada allowed that in the West. He didn't allow it in India because this is this was explained to me years and years ago when I was first in India. That Prabhupada didn't allow that. This was actually Prabhupada Swami told me, who was managing Bombay Temple under Prabhupada's direct guidance. And Prabhupada said that he wouldn't allow that because uh, it would be it would appear to be socially uh, it, it would be considered very wrong for women to young girls to live independently. Nowadays that's changed, but but another point uh, that. Prabhupada, I mean, I don't know if it's directly from Prabhupada, is that if there's any uh, social scandal, then it can put our movement, you know, it, it'll look very bad, just like we see now with this uh, so-called Paramahamsa Nityananda, who's a self-made Swami in Tamil Nadu, who uh, the public are, you know, completely against him because he was exposed of having some romantic liaison with a Tamil film star. So, these things are still very sensitive in India. Now, Prabhupada allowed that. We allowed it, I mean, he invited the first, not just allowed it, but he invited women to, young women to come and join in our centers because he wants everyone to be Krishna conscious. And he saw that was best for them, even though it was controversial. Uh, and it did lead to many problems because the association of male and female in this material world is always problematic. 
Even if the inten- even if the intentions are good, it's always problematic. Uh, so now, in the last few years, there have been brahmachari ashrams started in America, which there weren't previously, actually. But uh, the brahmacharinis are, as far as I know, only in New Vrindavan and Columbus, Ohio. So there's not much scope either for young men or for young women, unless, or, or what about older middle-aged women or you know, they want to join or middle-aged men or whatever. So, uh, providing that facility, <coughs> that is required. It seems that Sunanda Prabhu in Berkeley is ready to do that. In At the center where this young lady joined, there's some, that's, she's been allowed to join, that's good, although at the particular center she's talking about, as far as I know, there's not that much facility in terms of living space. The answer again is farms. We can, we should be able to accommodate many, many people in farms, farm communities for devotees. Uh, now, she's aspiring to go on a traveling Sankirtan party, and that shows again the difference between India and America, because in India, even today, it's unimaginable that we have an all-women traveling Sankirtan party. Although in America, it's, why not? Because they do everything else. They go and fight in wars, but then I don't think they, in wars, they don't even put them in direct combat even though they send them to the army. But yeah, I don't know what they do. They get raped by the soldiers and it's such a stupid... They put men and women in together in the same sleeping quarters and then they complain that the women get raped. Oh, it's ridiculous. It's so stupid, it's unimaginable. So, uh, so women are supposed to have the same rights as men and they, they have a very uh, independent kind of life and so it seems quite normal. But... Up to date, it's still not imaginable. In it. And, and there are reasons for that also. As Srila Prabhupada said, a 16-year-old boy can travel all over the world, but a 16-year-old girl can't. She'll, she'll be exploited. So she suggested to go on traveling Sankirtan with one devotee and his wife, who uh, I, I don't know who they are, but whoever they are, we should all offer our obeisances to them because without any institutional support, either moral, financial, or whatever, they're going around traveling and preaching in America. So, whoever they are, they must be great souls. Um, however, it, it's... It could be problematic again because if you just in a, a, a mobile home or an RV, the man's there with his wife with one or two other young women and he has to be like a proxy husband to them. That's what it works out as because women relate to men either as sons, husbands, brothers or fathers. So you have to take one of those four relationships. And it's supposed to be that that everyone except your wife is a mother. 
seen as a mother, Matrivat Paradareshu. But in in such a setting, then you know, living very, I mean, living in a tiny little place, I don't know how they do it. Maybe they'd stop at some place, and then the unmarried women would go and stay in a in a motel or something. But that also, that's they're not protected properly. So. We have in the past the infamous history of traveling Sankirtan parties with with a male leader, and uh, one of one of the male lead. I mean, what happened? It's predictable, and it's not good. But in in the case of uh, one of the devotees, I mean, he's still a who, the male devotee who was the leader of a woman's Sankirtan party in America and what happened was not good. Uh, but he's, a, you know, he's still a very, he's a fixed devotee in Krishna consciousness. He went through a very bad period. He, w- he was put in a situation where he had multiple fall downs, but his intention was not bad. And he's, he's still a very strong and fixed devotee, but it's dangerous. Let's just put it like that. It's dangerous. Uh, you'd be under the the overall guidance of Parameshwar Prabhu. Well, uh, you know, he's an um, amazing dedicated book distributor with you know, tremendous potency he's receiving from Srila Prabhupada to distribute books and to inspire others to distribute books and have parties in America distributing books. I mean, really very inspired and special. So I saw him distributing books. In, he was there in San Diego. as uh, we were on Harinam. He speaks to people. We were out in San Diego, which is like one of the enjoying cities of America. I mean, everyone wants to enjoy, but it's... Especially, it's one of those cities which are more known for enjoyment. It's, yeah, it's in, on the be- it's on the Pacific Ocean. It's good climate. People tend to be wealthy. Of course, nowadays you see people sleeping on the beach in their sleeping bags and all this kind of thing. But anyway, people are out there enjoying and ah, you know, it's in the West, you know, just completely stupid out on Friday night and with all the bars and. The, the uh, restaurants, open air restaurants, and this and so I, I sorry. He would just stop people and talk to them, and they would. Um, he's so grave, and then you know they're in this completely frivolous mood, and then he would just bring them to his level, at least of being serious, for about thirty seconds, which was enough for him to convince them to take the book. They take it and give a donation and stick it in their bag and they go off to their party. Just amazing. He just cut through all their maya. Just held them like that, sold them a book and went on. So a very amazing personality. So, to be under his guidance is good. Although it would be uh, remote by phone, I guess. Uh, but I, I would never recommend this in India, but can maybe give it a try, see how it goes.
and then uh, otherwise to be under Sunanda in Berkeley is also good. Sunanda is another another of those people who never grew up. In other words, he's a Prabhupada man. He wants to do things the way Prabhupada said. So uh, you can give it a try, I guess. But you should know it's uh, it's a dangerous that danger is there. But for preaching, Prabhupada also he he sent Mataji's out for book distribution. He preached that they should should be in his books and in his lectures. It would always be that that you know women in the home submissive role, all this and that. But practically seeing the nature or the training of women in the West and uh, and the need to spread Krishna consciousness, he encouraged them to do that. And many of them did that very well for many years and then they settled and got married also. Those are some thoughts of mine. As I've been asked to give advice. Culturally, I'm quite out of contact with the West. That's also a fact. Although, through the eye of Shastra, we should be able to see everything in perspective, even with, even without being very much interacting with the culture, we should be able to... Although, again, we see Srila Prabhupada, he spent time in America to see what the culture is like, and then he made some adjustments accordingly. So... Um, there are different considerations in different cultures and actually in, in this dealing with his western women disciples Prabhupada he dealt with his Indian women disciples quite differently actually although the the standard the cultural standard he wanted to bring all over the world to people to the traditional Varnashram standard. But he didn't insist or even try to overnight change people, their, their culture in that way. In many ways, of course, Prabhupada made so many cultural changes, but he made adjustments also. Now, this is a, this is a point where there's, there's a rift in our movement between people with different understanding. One group of devotees thinks that, well, Prabhupada, he made cultural adjustments, but they were according to time, place, and circumstance. But he's, he also gave an understanding of what is the standard we should come to. Whereas others say, well, Prabhupada did like that, so we should do like that also. But uh, my understanding is that Srila Prabhupada made adjustments for these cat and dog society, as he called it. And that, that wasn't meant to be uh, permanent. We're supposed to come toward the standard that he spoke about and wrote about, and that is in Shastra. So there's a difference of understanding that. Okay, Hare Krishna. Any questions, comments here? Kunti, Mataji, like to say anything? You're, you're having a 
you've, you've lived in India or you've been in India before, in Vrindavan and Mayapur, but you don't really get to see India until you come out of Vrindavan and Mayapur. Because in, in Vrindavan and Mayapur, there are Western, so many Western devotees that you're in a, you're in a cultural sub-bubble or something, a subcultural bubble within Mayapur and Vrindavan. So you really get to see the culture when you come out. And even not in the, get out of the big cities, forget Bangalore and Bombay. And you'll see some of the culture like that, but coming to small towns and villages and You've just been in Sri Lanka, which is uh, in many ways more cultured than India because they're less advanced and less modern and less progressive than India. So it is a big, there is a big cultural difference. And I must admit that it took me quite some time to get used to it. Yeah, so would you like to make any comment based on what I said? Yeah, yeah, I could understand. And, uh, yeah, Sri Lanka is a big cultural difference from the West, even from India. It's from India. Yeah. Sri Lanka is culturally very different from India. India is very Westernized. In all ways. Yeah, the, the 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 present generation of women in India, many of them, they're well, they think in many ways just like Westerners. They've been, they have their career, and just like we, there's a sitting in the office over there. There's a young woman who's the assistant architect for our project. A, a young woman who her mother would have been married by that age, but she's not even thinking about it right now. The environment is encouraging. In what sense do you mean? It's not. You mean the. In India, that's the idea that everyone should get an education. They should go to college and get a degree. Yeah, and then what happens? This the villages empty out because the people don't want to live on the farm, and then the big companies take over all the all the agriculture, and it's done with becomes an agri business, and all the people live in the city. It's just they brainwash people that you ha- everyone has to get an education. Although most people they don't they they want everyone to have an education because they need lots of people who are technically technically qualified enough to work in their factories. and to, But then many people, just like, they go to school for 10, 12 years, and then they drive an auto rickshaw, which you can learn in you know a few days. I mean, you can learn in a few minutes, but how to drive it without crashing. Well, in India, you know, every auto rickshaw driver has a picture of Jesus or, or Amman or you know, someone, because they really, you know, they really need it the way they... Every day they come close to death every hour practically so uh, yeah I mean it's not required actually that everyone has a big education 
In, well, in modern society it is required because it's a very complex society. But in a simple society, it's not required. You can go on your whole life without an education. You can even be very intelligent and cultured without having a formal education. So, but... Yeah, you can also be highly... Well, often we find that some of the most fallen people are some of the most educated. What do you think? Uh, you are just in Sri Lanka. Maybe I can ask your husband this. As we don't want to be like... You don't want to discriminate here. Like Men and women are supposed to be equal. It doesn't mean the women are more equal. There's no such thing as more equal, but that was a phrase invented by George Orwell. All animals are equal, but some are more equal than others. So, um, there's just been for 30 years a, a civil war in Sri Lanka. In the area, presumably you were in the Tamil areas. Um, whole generation. Now, my experience when I went there is that despite that, there's a lot of, among the Tamil population, when I was there about two years ago, there's a lot of uncertainty, what their future is, and all this and that. But in general, the, the family structure is strong. And uh, in many ways, people are, are more content. Would you, what do you, how did you feel like that? Of course, you can, he's asking his wife. You visited a few... I guess you couldn't communicate with many people. I have that problem there also, because I don't speak Tamil or Sinhalese. Some of them spoke English. Some of them spoke a little English. Not much, yeah. Yeah, strong family connection. Hierarchy and family. Yeah, that's... Master of the house, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the family unit is intact. Well, that was something I very strongly experienced when I was in Bangladesh. That although people at that time especially, more so than now, very much poverty-stricken. But people got enough to eat, just about. Uh, but generally I found people were much more happy than in England, where I came from. And actually the London School of Economics, which is one of the world's most famous propagators of contaminating ideas, um, they did a survey some years ago about how, of course it's not very easily quantifiable, but they asked people all over the world different questions by which they... Uh, ascertained how happy people are in different countries. And again, it's not, it's not very quantifiable. You can't exactly measure it. But they found Bangladesh came number one. India was in the top five or so. Although it would have probably gone down by now because they've become more developed and more modern and more Western and more educated. The more you become modern and Western and developed and educated, the less happy you become. Because it's an, it's an increase of of lust and greed, which can never make you happy. Uh, yeah, 
America was down at 40 or something and Britain was lower still. And uh, so they said there were some... Mostly the countries that had less money, they had more happiness. And But then you get some countries which had no money and no happiness either. When Russia was the one. <laughs> Their economies come up a bit since then. No money and no... Neither... The, and it was one of your Baltic countries, I think it was Estonia, where there's like also no money, no happiness. You know, like even materially, they're not, they're not doing well. So that's interesting. And that's very strongly my impression, that the people who are less sophisticated, maybe you say ignorance is bliss, but it's not. It's not exactly ignorance. It's... it's they have a strong family structure and they have strong faith in God. That's a major factor. And also in, uh, in traditional societies, because they say in modern societies you have so much opportunity, but actually the opportunity means you also have no stable position. And people have tremendous insecurity. Their, they, their, their job, they can lose any time. Their home, they can lose any time. Just like, you know, the government may come along and just destroy your home. We're making a new road. Or we're, we're making a new dam. Just get out. We'll get out. They throw the whole village out and they say we'll make something for you in the city which they may or may not. Uh, just like you told me that uh, there was some court inquiry and they were moving a whole village to the city and the, the village people didn't want to go. But then the uh, people promoting the dam they said you see we made a nice park so the children can play in. And they said, okay, that's very good. They're making good facility. But in the village, they, you know, they had all the fields and mountains and unlimited space, and now they gave them like, you know, 2,000 square feet park or something. And they, oh, very good facility. And then they all have to go and live crammed up in little pigeonhole buildings in the city. So, um, what was I saying? I lost my thread there. Yeah, I lost my thread. I was saying something, and I got diverted into that. Ignorance is bliss. Yeah, ignorance is bliss. So, but they have this idea that in modern society there's knowledge, but there is. What is the knowledge? They they bluff people into thinking that life is better. You see, now you have opportunity, and you you can go here and you you. You don't have to remain in the village just doing some menial job. You can come to the city and you can make something of yourself. But you don't have job security, you don't have house security, you don't have family security because the wife or the husband either may, after 20 years or 30 years or 2 years or whatever, may just say, forget it, I don't want to be married to you anymore. Happened to one of my godbrothers. He's married for so many years and one day the wife said, I don't, I don't want to be married to you anymore. Devotees. We're both Prabhupada disciples. So I don't want to be married to you. So well, what's the problem? I said, I don't have any problem with you. You're not mistreated me. But I just don't want to be married to you. That's all. Then, uh, or, you know, fam again, family security, the children, just out of selfishness, they, they just leave the parents and reject them. So there's no security. So people... Ashantasya kutasukam. For one who is not peaceful in mind, where is the question of happiness? 
So you say you have more, more opportunity, but people don't have any security, at least in a traditional society. People, they have other people they can trust and depend on, at least their immediate family members. And they, you say, well, they don't, they don't have so much opportunity, but then they have job security. The potter's son becomes a potter. The barber's son becomes a barber. There's no job insecurity. The farmer's son becomes a farmer. And everyone knows their role, what they're supposed to do. They have a fixed social role. So you may say, well, that's very constricting. But if the goal is fixed of Krishna, then it's all perfect. So... Actually, they're not so ignorant. If they know, if they know that the goal of life is to serve God, then they're much better than being an atheist. Another thing, they say opportunity, but then most of the people, they, well, a lot of them remain unemployed in modern life. They're unemployed. Uh, or they, they have so-called opportunity, but most of them end up working a factory job or, or uh, you know, driving an auto rickshaw or something like that. What's the great opportunity? <laughs> what's, the, what's the great advantage? And what to speak of that, the whole society is so insecure that it can just, it's all built, it's, it's a, what is it, a pack of cards. It's like you stand cards up, but any little touch and they'll all fall down. So, it's, the whole society is insecure. Just stop the oil supply for a week, which could happen at any time, and the whole society is finished. If they can't generate electricity, then for some reason, then the whole societies, the whole city society is all finished. They don't have oil, then they can't bring food to the cities. Then what are people going to do? The whole, everything, the economic setup, it's all very fragile, and it's even they themselves are saying it's collapsing now in the West. Yeah. So, what did you want to say? You had your hand. Yeah. That I noticed that um, I spoke with a 79-year-old lady in Sri Lanka. You spoke with a 79-year-old lady in Sri Lanka. Yeah, she was a teacher. So I asked her about... She's a teacher or a retired teacher? She was a teacher. Retired teacher. Yeah, yeah. So I asked her a little bit about this traditional life, yeah. how it used to be with her mother and this. You asked her about the traditional life, how it used to be. To a large extent, a lot of it would still be there, actually. Yeah. It's not as broken down as here. Uh, she said to me that it's, um, that her mother and also the woman before, they were kind of, uh, how to say, uh, men, they were a little exploiting them. The men were a little exploiting them. Yeah, they were exploiting their position. They were exploiting their position. The men were exploiting their position. Yeah. Women were not educated. Yeah. So they were at home, they were completely dependent. They were at home, they were completely dependent. And uh, husband should be a protector, but many times she said it looked like they were a little exploiting that. The, the men were supposed to be protecting, but they were exploiting. So she said that also maybe this change happened now, that this trust in this protection of a man. The trust and protection of man went down. So then, naturally, everybody in this material world wants to protect themselves. Everyone wants to protect themselves. That's what it's come to. So, it looks like when they lost the shelter. When they lost the shelter. That they should have the husband then they 
when they lost their children and their husband then they wanted to become independent yeah that's that's this not only wives to husbands but it's just like previously all over the world there was monarchy and people couldn't imagine any system of governance other than monarchy but when the monarchs saw their they took their position more as one to exploit the citizens rather than to protect them then they were thrown then the monarchs were thrown out and and since then there've been all theories of how society should be governed previously then there were theories there were just monarchs that's all but eventually they became democracy fascism socialism communism and all different systems and people in the modern western world they do have a large degree of independence because you can't be dependent that's the idea but again people are not happy <laughs> uh, so yeah that's uh, that's a result of kali yoga that all the natural systems break down as i just mentioned to you yesterday one of my teachers at school one of the few things that i remember any from school and it wasn't it was just a personal remark to me it wasn't part of any course one teacher said something very intelligent he said that the only uh, uh the only uh what well, he said the best system of governance is enlightened monarch uh, enlightened dictatorship but he said but it's not possible that's what prabhupad was aiming at it's a very uh very high very extremely idealistic to aim at that but that's what prabhupad gave us to do and if we don't then we're just left to try to adjust to modern society which is a mess it requires a lot of work to to preach to people and train people to have faith that this can work and there'll be problems and there'll be mistakes but the alternative is that we just as a movement merge into the modern society which is a mess and it's not at all conducive to krishna consciousness so definitely as everywhere as especially as people come in contact with the west uh then they get all different ideas and then then they, the the uh then the traditional systems break down men are exploitive yeah unless they're very well trained exploit some exploitation is going to be there but probably said about that that about women being exploited he said better be to be exploited by one man than by many men at least you have a fixed husband it's like uh you know women they give up their husband and they go to someone else but then uh you you that sense of dependency and and it it's it can't be there if you just go from one to another to another to another and then the whole society just then then marriage becomes meaningless actually and then people in the west they don't bother to get married at all it's coming now in india and then marriage there's no religious commitment it's just uh, you live together because you like each other and you don't like each other and then you split up and if, if any kids are produced well you know it's up the it's up to them they just make it's they make their life whatever they can it's just hellish the whole modern society is making people in already people are insane but the whole society 
They got every, their whole understanding about everything is so wrong. That even our own devotees, it's, it seems to be very difficult to, con- to convince them. Like they'll, they'll take up Krishna consciousness like a religion, they add it to their life. Whatever they like of it. Little bits and pieces here and there. But to actually take up Prabhupada's mission, I mean, it requires tremendous commitment, tremendous faith in Prabhupada. But Prabhupada, he did also, he didn't ask for blind faith. He explained everything very clearly. Why there should be a king? Why, what are the duties of men and women? He explained all these things. So really, uh, it's up to us to establish this. Yeah, you're looking at your watch. Yeah, it's nine o'clock. All right, we'll finish there. You have a question? Hmm? You wanted to make a point. Yeah, okay. In Tamil Nadu, the polytechnic colleges have increased in large numbers. They train people to do factory jobs, basically. Semi-skilled factory jobs. Not highly skilled like engineers, but semi-skilled. There's a big propaganda in the newspapers and then different companies, those uh, companies from the West come and they just... Companies from the West come and... Come to the school and uh, they have to, you need to study only after 10th standard. After 10th standard you can go to the polytechnic. And you know, they, so they just bring many boys from the villages. They take boys from the villages, train them out to be factory workers. And many colleges have increased. You know, under the way when you are going to Kanchipuram, we saw so many polytechnic colleges, big, big buildings everywhere. Yeah, yeah. They're just changing the whole society. It's just for the benefit of a few people who, who are running all these industries. And, and people think that now we've got a better future. What better future? <laughs> yeah. People living simple life, and they should be happy. Yeah. How did they change? No, the, uh, when we meet them, they are so enthusiastic about us because we are from the West. They're so enthusiastic so about you because you're from the West, and you think so what? Because in all over the world, it's been propagated that the white man is the. It's uh, you know like the. Well, you know, like Darwin said, there were chemicals, and then there were cells. Then there were fish, then there were lizards, then there were monkeys, and then there were white men. And there were a few who didn't, they weren't white, but the real evolution was the white man. So, the white, you see the white men, they made all the science and technology. And the fact that in India, thousands of years ago, there was highly advanced science and technology is all covered up and forgotten. And there's this image of the white person being uh, if you believe in God, God's greatest creation, or if you don't believe in God, uh, the the summit of uh, random evolution. You see, so there's this image that the white man is, or the white woman, not to put you down, the white man or woman is something very great. And they cultivated this image. The, the, the British especially, 
they were able to keep power on over the world. They only had a few people here in India in different countries, but, but they they cultivated this image among the people that you know our culture is superior. We are making all this science and technology. We know what's best for you, like this. So it's by propaganda, and that's why we're sending to preach in Sri Lanka. Not that we think that you know you don't know Tamil and uh, you don't know the culture, and but you're white. And you chant Hare Krishna. And it's a big attraction. So that's the reason. People are enamored. Now, one godbrother of mine just sent me a link to a BBC article on the internet. Very interesting how people's attitudes have been deliberately changed in various ways via soap operas or soaps as they're called and the first one was a radio show which is still going on after 65 years in Britain called The Archers and in those days 65 years ago radios were common TVs were not so everyone listened to the radio so they had the story of, of an, ordinary, the, an ordinary rural family called The Archers that's the name of the pro- program The Archers and then the archers, because it was actually the Ministry of Agriculture teamed up with the BBC, because the Ministry of Agriculture had all these agri- all these changes they wanted to make in the agriculture, but the people didn't want to do it. So they had, on the radio show, the archers, they try it out, they're a little skeptical, they find it works, they're happy. It's all just a drama, and the result was, as hoped for, as expected, all the farmers, they listened to the radio show, and they started to do what the Ministry of Agriculture wanted them to do. And they gave all kinds of examples. In India, how one girl in Bihar, a young girl, said, I want a birthday party too. And then they started having birthday parties for her. And then they did for, it, it they started doing it in the whole Hindi-speaking area. More recently, uh, very popular TV soap opera in England called The East Enders. I've heard about it all these years. I never saw it. I think it started after I joined the movement. But apparently it's very... So on that program they had the first homosexual kiss and on TV. And the papers the next day were screaming, this is terrible, this is wrong, this is blah, 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 blah. The next day they did it again and there was nothing in the paper hardly. The third time, nothing whatsoever. And then it all brought in an ethos of, well, it's okay. So they did deliberately by, through soap opera, not through education exactly, but by dramas. And, and it, it's a very powerful medium. I know here in India, this uh, Naxal movement, it, it picked, it gets, got a lot of support throughout the country, Naxal, now they call them Maoists, previously they were called Naxalites, they get a lot of support because they go village to village doing dramas showing how the rich people are exploiting the poor. And then they get support. And then, you know, the Maoists are blowing people up and kidnapping people and this and that. But then, who was t- recently, I met this devotee, what's his name, Damodar Dulal. He's got this farm on the Maharashtra-Gujarat border was donated to ISKCON by a man from Bombay because it's in, it's in a Maoist area. So it's like Govindaya Namaha. He can't do anything with it. 
So he gave it to the devotees. <laughs> so he went there, probably this Dhamma probably at the risk of his life, and established. And he said there was a lot. Of, he just said there's a lot of difficulty, but you know, phew. yeah, it's very dangerous. And Maoists they hate sadhus. They hate everyone actually. So uh, anyway, he's established this presence, and he said what he said was very interesting. He said. The people around there, they're all tribal people. And the Maoists have dominated them for the last 40 years. And, you know, if the Maoist, if the leader says to them, jump, they'll jump. It's like that. They're completely under their sway. But he said after coming, we're employing them on our farm. And then, like the women who would dress without covering themselves properly, even despite a whole, more than one generation of Maoist influence, now they're covering themselves, they're respectful to the sadhus like this. So his comment was that actually the Maoists want to keep the people in poverty. He said, they, like the government program, they're always saying that like, we want to do development programs so that the tribal people won't, be, won't become Maoists. But the Maoists don't want them to do the development programs because they, then the people won't have any reason to follow the Maoists. So the Maoists, as a political necessity, need to keep the people deprived. There you go. And then they, and there you see, the Maoists took over Nepal. And someone else I met, he's just, he's, oh, Prabhu Vishnu. Yeah. He would tell me in Nepal it's total chaos. I remember I used to go, it's very, pe- you go from India to Nepal and you feel, oh, it's very peaceful here compared to Bihar. But now he says around the other way now. Bihar seems peaceful compared to Nepal. Total chaos. The Maoists came in and it's just, everyone's fighting against everyone else. There's, there's no law and order, there's killings, shootings, it's just absolute chaos. And we see that everywhere. When Mao Zedong took over in China, just, you know, his, his cultural revolution, the great leap forward, means that, you know, they just killed millions of people. In, in Kampuchea, the Pol Pot, they're, they're just killing millions of people. So we want to do a revolution also, but not that kind of revolution. The revolution is go to the land, grow your food, chant Hare Krishna. And there's a whole social package that comes with that also. But uh, there's so much resistance to that because here in India, because the people are there just being... Tra- no, 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 you have to go to the city and have to get a better life. You have to educate your kids and so they can have a better life. And, and, blah, 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 and you're just completely brainwashed. Whereas in the West, many people, they realize... What Prabhupada was saying, that this whole society is cheating you, the scientists are teaching, cheating, the teachers are cheating, the banks are cheating, the politicians are cheating, up, down, inside out, left to right, top to bottom, the whole society is just cheating. That's all. Now the head of the BJP, ex-president, just got four years imprisonment for corruption. But why him? You know, if you, if you want to, if you want to get the politicians for corruption, the best thing is just go and just go to the Lok Sabha and the Rajya Sabha, stick them all in, and then if anyone is not, you know, there might be one or two are not corrupt. It's unlikely. It just put everyone in the Congress Party, the BJP, the everything. Just put them all in. That's all. And put the judges in too. 
That's why if you want to put the corrupt people in India, you want to lock them up, you should make a, what you should do is make a small area for the not corrupt people and the rest of the country can be a prison. <laughs> Even the people who are not corrupt, it's only corrupt because they didn't get the opportunity. The culture is so bad. <laughs> the culture is so bad. What are you, you were in a government job. Is there... Hmm? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or even to get a job, to get a position as an officer in the government, you have to pay. To become a coolie at, at Chennai Central Station must be at least a lack of rupees you have to pay. Everything controlled by the mafia, yeah. Even Bollywood, everything. It's all run by... And then we, then the businessmen, they promote themselves like this. There's a book which is banned in India about, it's called The Real Dhirubhai Ambani. And it shows how he became rich and everything like this. Now he may have all this propaganda like he's a national hero. But it's all propaganda. You know, he didn't get, you know, so many things. He got licenses to do this and that. Am I bribing and cheating? And, uh, but he's, but he's very... And now his sons, they didn't do so. Anyway, let's not talk about this. There's no end to it. Just we can say, Kale doshane deira janasti eko mahanguna kirtana deva krishna sya mukta sangapara vajet. Kali Yoga is a mess. Chan Hare Krishna. We needn't even get too much into trying to understand what the mess is. Because if you look... If you look you'll just see it's just a complete stinking mess, the whole society. But the problem is that people don't realize it's a mess. They think it's nice. Or even if they think it's a mess, they think you just have to make some minor adjustment and everything will be okay. But the whole root of it all is just lack of Krishna consciousness, desire to enjoy this material world. And the leaders are exploiting people and cheating people. As Prabhupada wrote, the the mass of people are tools in the hands of the leaders. So, chant Hare Krishna and preach. Got a lot of work to do. That soap opera article made me, that enhanced my understanding that actually drama is a very powerful medium for preaching. Very powerful. Live is even more, much more potent than, uh, than on TV. We have so many things to do. We have a very good drama team and very Krishna conscious drama team in Chennai. Should just bankroll them. Get them. They should be out five nights a week. They should be in different locations. In one location, they could do Ram Leela over 20 days or something like that. It's very Ram Leela, Ram Ramayana, Mahabharata. Very instructive. Just like you'll see, I'm going on and on and on here. In Mahabharata, they'll just use examples throughout which are didactic, that means morally instructive, even which are not directly related to the text. Just like I was reading yesterday, that just as covetousness, just as the one fault of covetousness destroys all good qualities in a person. And then it was an example, something about Arjuna's fighting. 
So it's not exactly related to the subject at hand, but it's giving some moral instruction. And like that, all the way through. Covetousness, you know what that means? It's greed. It's, it's, a, it's a somewhat nuanced word, which is very, can be very simply stated to be the desire to possess more and more things. Things that don't belong to you, especially. So like that.